Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. As I said before the the break, the uh, title of the talk tonight is uh, Suffering is Grace. um, That phrase is something, is uh, a phrase that um, one of my main Dharma inspirations, um, Neem Karoli Baba, would say, Neem Karoli Baba, if you're not familiar with him, I mention him um, from time to time. Uh, he's the, the guru in Ram Dass's books, um, Be Here Now, and his other books, uh, also known as Maharaji. And he's somebody who, was, who touched me quite deeply and profoundly uh, through the book, Be Here Now, and through my connection with Ramdas, uh, although I never m- met him when he was uh, alive, but uh, he's still a presence for me. If you're uh, if you're familiar with uh, the uh, chanting Krishna Das and Jai Utal, both uh, uh, when they when they chant, they they have uh, Maharaji in there their hearts. So he's affected a a lot of people. And um, he would say, suffering is grace. Suffering, it it brings me so close to God. Now we hear about suffering a lot if you've been around Buddhist teachings and Buddhist philosophy. The Buddha talking about suffering and the end of suffering. That's what he said when asked what he teaches. I teach about suffering and the end of suffering. And in the Four Noble Truths, each one is connected with suffering. There is suffering, the first noble truth. There's a cause of suffering, the second truth. There is an end to suffering. And then the fourth truth, there is a path that leads to the end of suffering. But this idea of suffering being grace, what could that mean? And we've talked in uh, many times about the the different um, aspects uh, of, of suffering, that it shakes us out of our complacency, that we look through our own pain or our sorrow to find a happiness that's not dependent on circumstances, that teaching that I've mentioned many times, transcendental dependent arising, that suffering can lead us to look for answers that bring us to a faith that's not dependent on on circumstances and that actually can lead us to joy and happiness and, and
and freedom. That suffering also, uh, through our suffering, we, we reach out beyond our limited reality and let go of the illusion that we have control over things. And we've also talked about how suffering um, connects us to others. That it's a universal experience and through our suffering, uh, our compassion is deepened. Uh, but I wanted to talk tonight about a, um, another aspect of suffering, how it is uh, the opportunity that it gives from a, a Dharma practice standpoint that um, I haven't quite seen articulated before uh, until uh, recently a friend sent me her uh, paper that she did for um, an a- for her academic um, course. Uh, and uh, I really like it and wanted to explore it with you. The name of the paper, title of the paper is Grief and Transformation the effects of grief and loss on the self and the possibility of spiritual transformation from a Buddhist perspective. Sounds kind of academic title, doesn't it? Oh, well, this is definitely for her course. But um, there's something in it and about it and about the uh, person who wrote it that uh, made me want to check this one out. As it was written by uh, my friend, Nancy Coughlin, who um, I write about in the uh, book Awakening Joy. Uh, if you've uh, read the, the book or have been uh, exploring it, uh, the chapter on uh, the, uh, the fourth chapter, finding joy in difficult times, dealing with uh, the hard stuff, um, ends with Nancy's story. I've mentioned it here from time to time, and I'll, maybe I'll just give a little background uh, of her and then explore um, her, some of her points and see how we can find meaning in our own life. Nancy um, is the person who, at um, 12 years ago, uh, lost her daughter, her uh, then 14-year-old daughter, who, um, in one of the the greatest tragedies uh, a a, a parent can experience, uh, her daughter took her life. And uh, I write about how uh, Nancy went through a process where I'd I'd see her each year. She would come to, and still does, come to uh, Spirit Rock in February, um, the anniversary of her daughter's passing. And 
We ring the bell in the meadow 108 times, which is a sacred number, and, um, and honor Julia. And uh, I write in the book how uh, the first few years, uh, Nancy was kind of holding on for dear life to see you know, how she could go on. And uh, then as time went on, with such a commitment to wake up and to use her experience um, in a way that would uh, honor Julia, uh, that something incredible came out of her process and um, she touched something that was indestructible and that was waiting to come out and has shined through since and she's an incredible light. She um, uh, has worked with parents of, uh, of children who've died and has become a chaplain. And she is this uh, joyful, radiant presence. And um, still, every February 12th, when we ring the bell, there are tears. And it's not like she's over that. It's part of who she is, but it doesn't define her. And what she's done with it is, is quite extraordinary. As a, and a, she's actually somebody that I refer others to who are going through their own uh, deep sorrow and trauma because she is there and uh, available for, for them. It's part of what she does. But she, so she wrote this paper, and I finally got around to reading it. She had sent it to me a, uh, a month or so ago, and, uh, and when I read it, it was uh, not only moving, but had some, some new aspects of the process that filled things out for me and also pointed to a way that that process of sorrow and loss and grief uh, really is, as Maharaji said, grace. I want to read to you just little pieces of, of the paper, and then we can explore in... Uh, in discussion about some of the points she makes. I'll just read a little bit to start. This is her talking. For over nine years, I volunteered as a grief support group leader, accompanying other bereaved parents on their grief journeys. I've witnessed and experienced for myself the healing transformation that can occur over time in the hearts and souls of those whose hearts have been broken open by the death of their precious and cherished children. The loss of a loved one, and in particular the loss of a child, is in some sense a loss of self, of who we think ourselves to be. With the death of a loved one, we not only lose that person, but also the relationship and the role we played. Our relational role, be it wife, husband, mother, father, sister, brother, or child, is at the very least disrupted, if not severed. 
And there is no solid sense of ourselves in those roles once the person we were in relationship with is no longer living. Mm. My experience of my daughter's death was one of total devastation. I held her lifeless body in my arms and felt my own life drain from my body and seep away along with hers. I could barely breathe from the wrenching of my anguished heart. The shock of losing a child or a loved one can be an overwhelmingly physical, visceral, viscerally felt experience. The resulting grief can be felt as a complete dissolution of the sense of one's physical and psychic self, as was expressed to me by another bereaved parent, and I paraphrase here, this is the other parent talking, it was as if my child was a great tree growing inside of my body, and upon her death, this tree so deeply rooted inside of me had been ripped from my chest tearing out my heart and every vein and capillary so that I experienced the resulting emptiness as a wrenching, hollow space that began from my toes and fingertips and consumed my entire body. There was nothing left of me. Her words mirrored my own experience that nothing left of me included the I that I thought of as myself, who I operated as, and the roles I played in life, the sense of myself utterly disintegrated. It was as if a great chasm opened up and I fell into the void and my concretized sense of self was swallowed up and absorbed by the darkness. There was no me as I knew it, no personality to pull it together to make sense of what had happened. I was no longer in control or able to make sense of what was occurring. I had fallen into an abyss of pure suffering. I had a sense of my self as just energy, pure grief, suspended and still, whirling synchronistically with all energy. The I who I thought I was had literally disintegrated. Maybe I'll just stop here for now on that. So she makes this point that um, about suffering that's not often mentioned and that I hadn't quite thought of in such clear, clear way that when we go through loss or grief, and this doesn't have to be confined to that particular flavor of pain or sorrow or suffering. We all have our own flavors or our own circumstances that call it up. So I don't want to uh, just um, look through that one narrow lens, although that's a very dramatic one that most every, anyone can, can relate to. But when we go through that major 
a loss or that major a pain or a trauma in our life when something has happened to us or we've lost somebody else that our basic identity in some very profound way changes who we think we are has shifted And with that, there can be incredible disorientation, but it is also a, a very rare opportunity because we have a choice of going through it, getting over it, carrying on, or in our willingness to open to it at whatever rate we're able to, because we have to respect our limitations, and sometimes it can seem to be too much. But at whatever capacity we have with a, a spirit of awakening, if that is your top priority, then as we go through it and open up to that depth of pain, we have the opportunity to find out who we are beyond our sense of identity, beyond our sense of uh, limited self, beyond our sense of our self-image or who others think of us to be, that there is, um, as is, is done in the, uh, in the metamorphosis of a, of a caterpillar into a butterfly, there is a, a, a period where when the caterpillar spins the cocoon, and there's some kind of mysterious liquefying of that chrysalis that, that takes place where it's, it's neither caterpillar nor butterfly. It's a process of transformation that um, these cells that have the potential are, are released and turn mysteriously into a beautiful butterfly. So we go through this liquefaction, or we have this potential anyway, to go through a complete transformation and, and letting go of who we thought ourselves to be. Now, we are all the time going through some kind of transition in our life. You know, we talk about transitions and people often come to me, wow, I'm going through a major transition in, in my life. Well, the truth is we are always going through a trans transition in one way or another. 
even by the very fact that we're continually growing and or growing older and somehow you know you go from Jamie 23 years ago to James you know what happened where where did that what happened to that person and there is a process called you of transformation but often it's a subtler kind of process where it's not so dramatic that it shakes everything up. But when there are these major sudden transitions where there's a change of identity, those are the things that are the highest on the stress chart uh, scales. You know, certainly like the loss of a loved one, loss of a child, or... Um, getting a diagnosis. Um, Not that you want to define your new identity as someone who is such and such, but you, there is a shift. Oh, now this is a a major theme in my life. Or you go through a divorce. Or even what would seem to be positive transitions like moving to a new place, or getting a new job, or getting married. Those are high on the stress charts. Or being a a success all of a sudden, after years of hoping to, uh, to be recognized if you're fortunate enough to be a success, and then people think of you in a different way. That's a big adjustment, and sometimes it's a hard one to uh, navigate through, as we see people like um, Lindsay Lohan, or Britney Spears, or Marilyn Monroe, or all of the, the people that we know that think that fame and fortune might be where it's at, but are so disruptive to the sense of self that um, they, uh, they melt in the process. They forget who they are. It's hard to handle. There's a loss of ground. And sometimes... We have to hit rock bottom before we find out who we are again. So from a Dharma perspective, this loss of identity, whether it's a very deep trauma or tragedy, or some major sudden shift of identity where you're scratching your head and saying, who am I anyway? Is, can be a golden opportunity. As Nancy so eloquently talks, I'll read a little bit more from it in a while, to see who you, who you are beyond that. 
just want to ask you as I, as I go on talking for a little while, just look in your own life. And uh, as you reflect back on your life, however long it is, for some people it's a good chunk of time, and for others it's, it's not nearly as long. But as you look back, see if you can I, uh, notice or mark major shifts in identity. And... what that did to impact you in your development, how you might have navigated or successfully or um, wobbly. And perhaps that process of integrating over time remember back and you remember its impact on you. Perhaps you've had some major sorrow or pain that's pulled the rug from underneath you and made you Look at yourself, your identity, your roles that might have shifted. Okay. So I think before I go on, I have more to say, but just uh, anybody who'd like to share their own experience of that. The idea of it being a visceral experience really resonates with me when my brother, who's three years older than me, died. Three years older than I am died. Um, It's very clear to me that I lost my left arm. I mean, I had my left arm, Mm -hmm. but my left arm was gone. And and I didn't want to go out because, well, I felt so hollow inside and didn't feel like going out. But the other thing was that people would see that my left arm was gone. Uh-huh. And how, how did it impact you over time? Well, I, th- I think in a lot of ways, I mean, I had much more a- empathy and compassion to people who were going through this, this kind of loss. And I was no longer my brother's sister. So that... Um, I lost that. I felt like um, who I was to him was gone. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that whole big chunk. I mean, part of that's my left arm. Mm-hmm. But later, you know, I, I just paid attention, was aware of that kind of, of, of emptiness with loss, and I later developed a program 
that um, for people in their final days that advocates and uh, provides good company for people in the final final moments called caring partners mm. this is, that's I something think that, that relates to losing uh, my brother so uh-huh so your own loss translated into some kind of um, compassionate action yeah uh-huh. yeah that sense of just belonging to one another rather mm-hmm. great thank you Ellie in the back I have a question. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just when you're speaking, I'm wondering about the relationship between um, oneself being who one really is, is a phrase that you used, and also identity. And then I'm thinking also of things like um, stories that we tell ourselves that in the practice of meditation we um, practice becoming aware of and observing. And so it seems like when you're talking about identity, you're talking about something that's more um, essential to our well-being than s- these stories. Than these stories, yeah. But, but I'm a little confused. I'm, I'm just wondering if you could say a little about how you're using these different words, because I... Um, right, I'm having trouble just understanding. So if I... If I understand you, you're you're saying we talk about these stories that we create about ourselves that are just mental fabrications, and then there are actual stories of who we are in our roles with with others in our life. Right. Except, of course, those overlap and yeah, they overlap. And there's there's something to be respected about about both stories, really. But one is particularly more of a mental fabrication, in terms of oh, I'm uh, you know, a loser, a winner, or whatever we are, or I am a daughter or a wife or whatever. And on on one level, we live relationally, and so those roles are. Um, important in giving us our sense of place in the world and and not to be dismissed. But when change happens, if that's the only way we define ourselves, uh, sooner or later, all of our roles, as it says in the, the five reflections, every one and everything near and dear to me I will be separated from. That while respecting that's, that those are important roles, that there's something beyond that to access or become aware of when we sort out just who we are. So this is where the opportunity is. It's, it's, it's not to say, oh, well, that was just a story and I can let go of that one. When, you are, when the rug is pulled from underneath you, um, it gives you a, a crash course in seeing that's not all of who I am. So who am I anyway? 
if I'm not the daughter of my beautiful child, uh, the, the, the mother of my beautiful child, or the wife of my, my darling husband, or uh, the son of my, my beloved parent, who am I anyway? That's just what we're talking about. And it's, it's not something to be taken lightly, it's something to, to respect, but just see, oh, this is really going for the nitty-gritty beyond the relative, the relational reality that most of us live in. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, so it's scary. It's really scary to let go of our identity. But it is also essential if we're truly going to go beyond just the relational to something more profound that I, I think the Buddha was talking about. And here I'll read a little bit more of Nancy's paper. First, she, uh, she quotes from uh, some wise beings. This is from Pema Chodron, from When Things Fall Apart. It's a, a wonderful book. Probably many of you are familiar with it. Pema Chodron says, When things fall apart and we're on the verge of we know not what, the test for each of us is to stay on that brink and not concretize We use these situations either to wake ourselves up or to put ourselves to sleep. To stay with that shakiness, to stay with a broken heart, with a rumbling stomach, with the feeling of hopelessness and wanting to get revenge, that is the path of true awakening. You stay with it, hang in there with it, and not concretize, not make that my new identity. I'm... I'm someone now who has gone through this loss, although that's part of the process, but to see even beyond that. This is um, St. John of the Cross, she quotes from. As I saw the river over which every soul must pass to reach the kingdom of heaven, and I saw the river over which every soul must pass to reach the kingdom of heaven. And the name of that river was suffering. And I saw the boat which carries souls across the river. And the name of that boat was love. That it puts you in touch with something so much deeper than the thinking mind can comprehend. This is her talking, uh, Nancy. It is here in surrender where the sense of oneself as a solid individual fixed self completely unravels that there is a possibility for transcendent experience, for the grace of something greater to come into one's direct experience. With the I completely undone, I is no longer the doer in search of the transcendent. One instead is found by the divine. One, this body and mind, is found by the divine. Now, sometimes we can have an identity. Our identity can be tied up to our suffering. We can latch on to the familiar 
no matter what form it takes, and say, okay, well, at least I know who I am. And sometimes it's hard to let go of that one as well. I see people very frequently on retreat where you're opening up to whole other ways of being and opening up to sometimes happiness, sometimes ease and lightness. And the person comes in and says, "Uh, I don't know how to handle this. I don't know what's going on. Oh my God, it's happiness. I've, I've never had that quite like this before. But I don't know who I am in there. Or there's a feeling of, of, of opening to um, quite lovely energies and the, the sense that you're going to get overwhelmed if you really open up to it. This is not uncommon at all, and there's an art to just kind of learning to relax into that new level of energy. But it means um, letting go of the familiar of our home base of suffering. I received a a letter from someone... um, Recently, uh, it's an, we, I, who I've been having an email exchange. I don't think I've mentioned her in, in this group. A young woman in Australia. She lives in Australia. And um, she uh, read the, uh, the Awakening Joy book and, and was very uh, um, moved and reached out. Uh, and she's been virtually housebound since she was 16 that her body has gone through some strange symptoms following a, tra- a traumatic experience. And, um, and uh, she, um, she's just not gotten better. And uh, she's a very, very moving, um, sincere young woman that, uh, that I've, I've gotten to know. And she, um, she just wrote me this, uh, last week. Hello, James. I'm writing to tell you that I believe I might have come to a type of conclusion or insight about myself. I was meditating, and I suddenly thought of the question, why am I not getting any better? I didn't stay with it long before an answer came to me. I'm afraid. Afraid of getting better. For so many years, I've been this way, and I've learned to live with it in a certain way. All my adult life has been like this in some form or another. I'm scared of the unknown, and for me, the unknown is being healthy and well. I wouldn't have the first idea about what I would do. I have dreams, yes, but making them happen and a true reality, I've never thought about how I would do it rather than just living my dream. My health may go up and down, but it is all familiar to me. Being well, I guess I would go to university, but then I would be 23, 24 in November, and I would feel funny being a mature-aged student. I would have that challenge to face, making new friends now that I have the health to go out, etc., changing my whole way of life. 
Although being ill is not ideal, it is still a comfort zone all the same. Without realizing this, whether realizing this will help me or not, I'm not sure. My health doesn't seem to be getting better, but maybe, just maybe, if I'm not scared, I might seem to feel better and move on. And of course, there are physical, she had actual physical um, difficulties and symptoms, but I was very moved uh, by that because uh, I think there might be something there. The mind and the body are so interconnected. When we go through a dramatic major shift as we let go of identity, um, it helps to have some kind of marker. That's why we have rites of passage or rituals. And I actually have talked with her about doing a ritual um, that incorporates some of the things that have happened to her. Um, but we, it helps to make that transition more conscious, whether it's a confirmation or a bar mitzvah or a wedding or some kind of healing or retirement or funeral or really the process of death itself to mark it consciously and to call on witnesses that you're going through some kind of major transition in in the Tibetan practice, there is the reminding someone going through their death, reminding them of who they are, because it can be, I mean, that's the ultimate, what we're talking about, letting go of our identity. This is all the different Relations and experiences and events that make up a life, you know, are part of our big play called you. Going through all the different characters, who you are has transformed so many times, and then you finally get to the end of your life, and what are you called on to do? To let go of it all to a place beyond this identity. It's something that, for me, when I, when I go on retreat and things get, at times, when they get very quiet and very still, there's no thought at all about being anybody to, any, to anyone else. It's just the stillness in that that purity of, of stillness where you, all kinds of, of identity drop away. And then there's something so profound that you can touch that's really like a, a kind of uh, prelude to, I think, the mystery of, of death, of, of surrendering. Oh, let's see beyond the known. And this is what they read to one who is dying, just to remember, to mark this transition of letting go of who you thought you were. Remember the clear light, the pure, clear 
white light from which everything in the universe comes, into which everything in the universe returns, the original nature of your own mind, the natural state of the universe unmanifest. Let go into the clear light, trust it, merge with it. It is your own true nature. It is home. Talks about all the different visions you can have and all the memories you have. Don't be attached to any one of them. Don't get seduced by those visions. Let go into the clear light. Remember your own true nature. It is home. So, as you go through your major shifts of identity, if it's through a a major sorrow or loss or major transition in your life where you're saying, who am I anyway? Just to realize that there is this, this really special opportunity if you can muster up the courage somehow and call on all the support you can, you can get to carry you through this to find out who you are beyond that, that chrysalis uh, liquefying and transforming you into um, something new that allows your pure true nature to shine through. So I, just to close, want to uh, invite you to reflect for a moment. Just seeing your whole life as this unfolding. And if you've had loss or have had or going through a major shift in who you are, how can you approach it as practice? How can you approach it as a perfect part of your journey? As Maharaji says, seeing the grace in that suffering. And what would you need to help you wisely make the transition to the new, to the unknown? imagine that possibility. It's here for you. It's the gift. close with a poem that I have in the book Awakening Joy and that Nancy puts in her paper called The Unbroken by Roshani. There is a brokenness out of which comes the unbroken, a shatteredness 
out of which blooms the unshatterable. There is a sorrow beyond all grief which leads to joy and a fragility out of whose depths emerges strength. There is a hollow space too vast for words through which we pass with each loss, out of whose darkness we are sanctioned into being. There is a cry deeper than all sound whose serrated edges cut the heart as we break open to the place inside that is unbreakable and whole while learning to sing. We'll just close with a a short loving kindness. Just honoring your journey, honoring your process, and seeing beyond it to something that is unbreakable and whole. May wisdom arise. May I see through all the different roles and images and sense of self to that which is beyond that. And may I share my love well in the process. May all beings see through their confusion, wake up through their sorrow and their joy. May all share their love and kindness and wisdom. May all find the highest peace. And may our coming here together be of benefit for ourselves, everyone in our lives, and all beings everywhere. Thank you very much. Great week. See you next week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.